what on earth is God doing? That's a question sometimes we want to ask. When we see wicked people prosper, righteous people persecuted, and it seems sometimes that in order to get on in life, you've got to go the wicked way because the righteous are downtrodden and so on. Maybe you've all got your own personal stories of uh, wondering what God is doing in your own life at times. Well, it's a godly question if you open your heart and direct it specifically to God as Habakkuk did all those years ago, 600 years before Christ. There he was prophesying in Judah. The capital of Jerusalem was right there. Habakkuk most probably was one of the temple worshippers. He was a priest, also called to be a prophet and an intercessor. And he learned the art of interrogatory intercession. In other words, talking to God by asking him questions. He took his frustration. He said, God, what are you doing? Why aren't you taking care of the wicked people here in Judah? I wanted revival. I expected revival. And now the ungodly outnumber the godly. We are surrounded by them. And you're not dealing with them, Lord. When are you going to come and judge the wicked and show favor to the righteous? And God gave him an answer. He said, yes, I am coming. I am raising up the Babylonians, and the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to destroy everything. And uh, the response at this point was not forthcoming from Habakkuk, which should have been hallelujah. But it was, oh my God, what on earth are you really? Do you expect me to rejoice in that? But Habakkuk, as we see, didn't just turn away from God. He climbed the stairs of intercession, and upon his tower, he asked God to take him deeper. And that same journey, the Holy Spirit invites us on today to inquire of the Lord, what on earth are you doing? What's your plan? What's your purpose? Why will you use a people more wicked than us to judge us and to call our attention? I think it's happening in our society today. We see many things happening which are not righteous or not good and many things prospering which shouldn't prosper. And many good things which should prosper don't seem to be prospering. And it could be that God is allowing certain things to come into our lives and into our society to get our attention. But when we seek him more deeply, we discover that God's plan is a good one. Oh, yes, it is. And today's message is to how can we find that plan and follow that plan, for it shall surely not fail. It is a plan worth following because it shall not fail, the vision of the Lord. And so I'm so glad that Habakkuk hung in there, as his name indicates. He means strong embrace. It is a, it is a wrestling term. And with all my vast knowledge of world wrestling championships, uh, uh, an embrace that won't let people go can be kind of like a bear hug. And, and here we have God's bear-hugging prophet, not hugging bears, but ha holding on to God and saying, I want an answer. Be like Habakkuk today, and you'll be amazed at what God will do for you. You might have to wrestle with God, wrestle with yourself, wrestle with other people, but hang in there because God is going to speak to you and make things clear. So we're going to pick up. I'm going to read the whole of the chapter uh, chapter 2, which we're dealing with today. And um, I'll just have a few comments as we go through. 
because it'll be a bit like a kind of commentary because you will have read the chapter with me and begin to understand what it has to say. But it picks up just at the point where Habakkuk is going back to God to ask God to answer his questions and, he, and God gives him his answer to the second question. How, do you, how can you use the Babylonians? Uh, is it going to happen like this forever? What are you going to do about it? Let's come right in then on chapter 2 verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner may carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it shall surely take place. It will not be de delayed. Now he issues his judgment upon the Babylonians and all of the wicked people. And he begins, first of all, by speaking against those who trust in themselves. Let's look at verse 4. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves. And their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness. Or the just will live by faith. We're going to come back to that verse next time and give a whole sermon on it. But this is the ray of sunshine that pierces the dark clouds of retribution, justice, and judgment. There is a way of escape. The righteous will live by faith. Verse 5. Wealth is treacherous and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave and like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples. But soon, their captives will taunt them. They will mock them, saying, What sorrow awaits you, thieves? Now you'll get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion. But how much longer can this go on? Now you'll see the principle of sowing and reaping coming here. You reap what you sow. And so God says, you people been doing what you're doing. Watch what's going to happen to you. You are going to reap what you sow. Pick it up with me as we go through it. Verse 7. Suddenly your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all you have while you stand trembling and helpless. Because you've plundered many nations... Now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger? But by the murders you, were, you committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. Very stones in the walls cry out against you, and the beams in the ceilings echo the complaint. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised that the wealth of the nations will turn to ashes? 
They work so hard, but all in vain. Now here we have a high spot in verse 14, a verse that tells us what God's plan is. What is this future vision that has begun to be fulfilled now? And if we follow God on this vision, which is worth following, we will experience it. Verse 14, for as the waters fill the sea, the earth is filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. What sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk You force your cup on them so that you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. But soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. Come, drink and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment and all your glory will be turned to shame. You cut down forests of Lebanon. Now you will be cut down. You destroyed the wild animals. Now their terror will be yours. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What you reap, you sow. When you trust in the flesh, from the flesh you reap corruption and a destructive experience in life. Now then, Habakkuk switches, giving us the word of the Lord. Now not just for those who trust in themselves, in the flesh, but those who trust in false gods, false idols. False philosophies, verse 18. What good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation a God that cannot even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up, save us. To speechless stone images you say, rise up, teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. Now we come to the final verse, which is another high spot. How is God going to act? What is his big plan? What is it? To get glory to his name through the church. Let's read it, verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. That's us. Not Kensington Temple, all of God's people. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Wow, what a powerful prophecy. I I think that Habakkuk got more than he bargained for when God spilled out before him in Revelation what his plan is. Yes, of course, he wants to get our attention so that we will turn back to God and experience in times of outpoured wrath upon the nations and upon our society and upon our city that at such a time as that, we'll know what it is to live by faith and enjoy the protection of faithfulness as God keeps us safe in times of difficulty. But beyond that, God says, I have an answer. And here is the answer, Habakkuk, write it down. Write it down plainly on tablets so a runner may run with the correct message. Now, the Hebrew here can give two kinds of pictures. It's heavily pictorial language. One of them, pictures which is valid here, is God says to Habakkuk, write in very large letters. The kind of thing that you would put on a placard or, a, or a, one of those 
um, um, uh, places where you, where you display advertising boards, you know, very big letters. So even as you approach them from a quarter of a mile away, you can see from a distance as you fly pi- past on the train, you can see the message because it's on the big billboards of life. And God says, my message is going to be published on the big billboards of life and society that wherever people run, they will meet my message. Now, the other way of looking at it, it's the way it's kind of translated here, is that write the message on tablets. Now, I'm, I'm working from a tablet right now, and um, you, you, how many people have got tablets? I'm talking about the yeah, electronic ones or small, small smartphones, and uh, I'll play on that in a moment. But the tablets that he's speaking about were the clay tablets of the common way of communicating in those days. Small clay tablets, find the examples of, of them in the British Museum, about the size of a man's hand, and they would just use a very special stylus to mark impressions into the soft clay, let them bake dry, and then these were heavily transportable, they were durable, and he says, I want my message written in such small detail, uh, in a very clear way, in these methods of mass communication, of mass distribution, so where everybody goes, they will hear that God has a plan, and this universe is coming to God's climactic end, that he has a purpose, and that plan is to bless his people, and in so doing, if people reject him, he is going to come to judge the wicked and reward the righteous. Now, let's bring this up to date. Suppose we did this. Suppose we followed this word from the Lord and we made sure everybody knew in every way possible, they go on the Twitter, there it is. They go on the Facebook, there it is. Open their iPads, there it is. Open the other inferior, open up, open up all, all the other methods and there it is. You, wherever you go on social media, the message is there. Look out of the window, the billboard is there. Switch on the television, the advertising is there. So much have we spread God's message that there is no escaping from it and God is saying get ready I am coming to judge the earth but there is a way out if you come before me in repentance and faith then the righteous by faith will live we've seen that he says I'm going to manifest my glory in all the earth as the waters cover the sea how do the waters cover the sea completely I'm a diver, I know that. It's amazing how we complain when we dive and, and it's raining and we're just going get, to get wet anyway. The waters cover the sea completely. We've also seen how God says, I'm going to come into my holy temple and manifest my presence. Now these things are real and they are the plan and the vision of God. Habakkuk has been weaned off his personal requests, his personal discomforts, his personal bugbears. I mean, I have some. I don't know if you've got some. When we look out in society today thinking, God, when are you going to come and judge that one? The first person I'd like to list is the person who troubles me on my mobile phone, where they get my number from, trying to sell me private protection insurance. (laughs) Every time you dare answer the phone, there's somebody that ought not to be allowed Thank God that there is a judge in the universe who one day will deal with the telephone traffickers. <laughs> what about cowboy builders? My God, my God. Rogue traders. Wow, wow, wow. Thieves and muggers, con men, scammers, fraudsters and tricksters. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and deal with them. 
But there are some other stuff where perhaps it's, I guess, even more serious. The human traffickers, the child abusers, those who are the warmongers of our day. I, I don't think I have the political or historical intelligence to start to point fingers as to who's exactly to blame, but God knows when we think of the Syrian civil war, 320,000 people have died, 11,493 children killed, 1.5 million people wounded, maimed for life, 9 million Syrians, refugees, flee, flee, fleeing from their homes. Nowhere to live, nowhere to go. Many are trying to make it overseas. Three million have gone to Syria's surrounding nations. Turkey, Lebanon, Jordan, Iraq. Now 6.5 million still displaced within Syria as I speak. 6.5 million people without homes because of a bloody civil war. Hundreds of thousands are heading for Europe. When I think of violent crime against the elderly, seeing pensioners beaten up with an inch of their life for five pounds in their purse. Think of our own Alan Barnes. You may not remember his name. Alan Barnes is this disabled pensioner who was mugged in January of this year. Remember him? He has a had a, a height and growth problem since birth. He only measures four foot. And he was attacked as he was taking his wheelie bin out. Broken collarbone, a, a legal high drug user was responsible. When I think of things like that, I say, God, will you not come and sort out this mess? And God says, yes, I am. I'm going to judge the wicked I'm going to reward the righteous. Here's how I'm going to do it. First of all, he says, I'm going to remove their self-confidence. The arm of the flesh fails you. It will fail you. People who live their own life, make their own moral choices by their, through their own darkened mind and understanding, rather than looking for the light of revelation of God's word, they will eat of the fruit of their ways. We've seen it all the way through, sowing and reaping. God says, I'm going to allow people to reap what they sow. And ultimately, for those who are without Christ, as they sow a lifetime of Christ's rejection, they will reap an eternity of judgment. And whether we as believers will ever stand before the great white throne, one thing I can tell you, we will not hear the judgment of God over our lives because believers in Christ have been forgiven and declared righteous. But even as believers, we have to be careful because what we do and how we live will influence how much of God we can enjoy and the good things that God has for us. We want to grow in eternal life. We want to grow in grace, grow in the knowledge of God. That's why we do not allow sin to take root in our lives. And we don't sow to the flesh. 
and try to reap from the flesh. We sow to the Spirit. We respond to the Holy Spirit and produce the kind of fruit that speaks of the experience of life. God says, in doing this, I will manifest my glory. I will show them that the arm of flesh fails. Human wisdom is of no value, of no account, and my glory shall prevail. What is God's glory? In the Old Testament, the word glory is linked to weight and worth. In the New Testament, the Greek word is linked to weight, worth, and opinion. And that's the high spot of glory. It's when we give God glory is when we honor the opinion of God. We honor his opinion more than our own opinions. We honor his opinion more than the opinions of society. Truth is not some kind of focus group. Truth is not an opinion poll. And what we believe, it may not be popular. What we believe may be laughable. What we believe and how we live may be committing social heresy by comparison to the standards of this present age. Years ago, the great thing was doctrinal orthodoxy, the standard of God's word, which measured everything. Now, it is about what society tells us, and we have to believe that. If we don't believe what society tells us, we are heretics in the eyes of society. And as in times past, when people were hunted for their heresy, so we shall be hunted for our social lack of orthodoxy when we say marriage is forever between a man and a woman and we don't accept any secular version of that. When we say there is only one way to God and it is not through any of the false religions of our day. When we say that God's word is truth and we follow God's word, not the opinions of men. When we do that, we are honoring God and God's honor is going to come into the earth realm one day so profoundly and it will be everywhere as the waters cover the sea. And in the meantime, we say the arm of flesh fails. We wait for God, follow his plan, because that's a vision worth following. Second part, we begin to understand God says, I'm going to destroy their idols. I think it is one of the most merciful things that God could ever do is to destroy our idols. What are you putting your trust in more than God? What are you depending on more than God? What do you think will make you happy? There's your idol. If it's not God, it's an idol. What do you think if you got right now, you could write it out by the end of today, you could get it wholesale. What do you think it would be to make your life happy, to make your life what you want it to be, to be satisfied? Unless that is a fresh manifestation of who God is in your life, you're putting your trust in an idol. But God says your idols are going to fail because on that day of testing, on the day of judgment, you will say, idol, save me. And it won't answer you because it has no breath. Doesn't, it's not alive. It's of your invention. Idol, teach me what shall I do? There will be no guidance from a dead and dumb idol in that day. That's why we must trust in the true and the living God to say, save me and guide me today. Hallelujah. And verse 20 is at the very end of Habakkuk 2. And here's that final climax. Having said, I'm going to destroy the idols and I'm going to show myself to be the God who I am. But notice the sphere of his revelation. 
this hit me like a, I don't know, like a thunderbolt. You see, when you read the Old Testament, you should read the Old Testament through the eyes of the New Testament. God says an extraordinary statement, verse 20, very extraordinary by any estimation, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Now, the silence is not extraordinary. Silence was the beginning of a transformation in Habakkuk's life. God said, let all the earth be silent. Even you, man of God, zip it up and listen. And at that time, when Habakkuk got to the place of, he ceased, he quit complaining. He began to hear God. And the revelation that he heard was, listen I'm about to show you something staggering. We're going to come to discover what that is. But right now, let's recognize that sometimes in silence, we hear more even than in conversation. But it's that first part where God says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Now, let's think about what this would have meant to Habakkuk, who prophesied 600 years before Christ. 120 years before that, They'd seen the northern kingdom of Israel fall to the Assyrians. And there it was. Samaria fell. And then also, uh, literally a hundred years, as uh, Habakkuk prophesied, hundred years before, the Assyrian king came to the gates of Jerusalem, threatened to destroy the city and the temple, and God heard and answered prayer. King Uzziah cried out, King, King Hezekiah cried out to the Lord, and the prophet Isaiah, last week I said, Uzziah, I said Hezekiah spoke to Hezekiah, so go back and zip that one in. It was Isaiah prophesying to Hezekiah, saying, God, God has heard your cry, he will not even come and shoot an arrow here. And then for a hundred years it seemed good, but the kings were turning their backs upon God, and now in Habakkuk's day, the same thing that happened in Samaria was going to happen in Judah and Jerusalem. The temple was going to fall, so why would God say, I'm in my temple? It's going to fall within a matter of years, but I'm in my temple. What is God saying? Don't put your trust in bricks and mortar. Don't think that I live in a temple that is built with physical things. I dwell in a temple that is not made with hands. I, my longing is to dwell amongst my people, and we are God's temple community. I'm not talking about Kensington Temple. I'm talking about God's temple. We are a habitation of God, and God says, I'm going to come into my church. I'm going to manifest my presence. I'm going to manifest my glory through you, as Paul says, glory in the church through Christ Jesus. That's where we're heading. We're heading to a glorious church. It'll be awesome and wonderful, awfully awesome at times when we have to hold on in faithfulness to God during times of persecution and opposition, during seasons when the wicked are in power and where they seem to rule over the very elect of God. But our hearts are pure, our spirit is clean because we believe the vision of God is worth waiting for and there is a plan and purpose in this delay. Did you notice that? God said, it's for the end time. 
Wait for it. It's going to delay, but it will come. Even if it delays, don't give up faith. Don't give up hope. Keep on believing. And we know why God is giving the delay in the first place because he is a God of grace and mercy. And he's saying, my righteous shall live by faith. It's an invitation to enter into God's plan and purpose. It's an invitation to be saved and to be rescued from that day of judgment. And that's what our generation needs. Our generation needs to know that God is a holy God and you don't mess with him. People going about their business today. We can think of those property developers that were spoken of here. Those city founders who found cities on unrighteousness, injustice, on greed. People who who overshadow the righteous people who squash the poor and humble that they themselves might promote their own wealth and who believe that their tactics are worthy of worship. It was said of the Babylonians that they would stand before their nets, that that was their artifice of war, their strategies, their tactics, the nets with which they captured the nations and bow down and burn incense to their nets and say, these are our gods People today are making gods of all kinds of strategies and lifestyles and ways of leading and ways of getting rich and worshipping their ways, even as publishing them in best-selling books. You can get rich like I get rich if you have no conscience like I have no conscience. They won't quite put the title that way, but you can read between the lines. But you and I were called to wait for the Lord even if it gets tough. Tougher than this. No, much tougher than that. Because our future is bright as the promise of God. That's the take-home message. Wait for the Lord, for your future is as bright as the promise of God. It is as sure as the faithfulness of God. And you're going to discuss that in your cell meetings this week beginning today. So as we conclude, we know that God's judgment is real. Don't ever mess with him. He is coming to judge the earth. And that judgment is already beginning. Next time I'm going to go into that one verse, the verse of hope, chapter 2, verse 4. The just shall live by faith. The whole sermon on that. That is the only hope. The gospel message is the only hope for a family, an individual, a nation, or world. And we have to become passionate, as Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God of salvation. Everyone who believes... Everyone who believes, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. He's coming to be glorified in his temple. He's going to manifest his glory on this earth. And one day the glory of God is going to swallow up everything else. God's opinion is going to prevail. And there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. And God is also going to come and manifest himself in his temple community. Temple community, people who love God as a temple, knit together, joined together, built up into a holy temple, a community of people. That's who we are in Kensington Temple. Forget the name of the building, but think about what God is writing on our hearts. We are a community of people. We invite you to join this community because we're in the throes of a prophetic revelation and a prophetic move of God. And we are not afraid to stand up in public and declare the truth of God with all prophetic and apostolic authority that God gives us as his modern day people. It's a call to faith. It's a call to vision. There is a plan of grace and blessing. 
there is yet still more grace for our lives. But the time is coming when the judgment will happen and grace will cease and judgment will be the portion of all those who trust in themselves and worship idols. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, friends, this is a day to get to know him. But all of us, we rejoice because we know our future is as bright as the promise of God. Put your hands together. Yeah.